Hello, and welcome to GovConnect, where we sit down with local government innovation experts to bring you insightful stories and advice on technology, best practices, and the latest trends. And here's our host, Andrew Kirk. This is GovConnect, a podcast about innovation in local government. I'm Andrew K. Kirk, the Chief Revenue Officer at CitySource, and today I'm talking to Dustin Heisler. He's the Chief Innovation Officer at eRepublic, who most of you probably know is the publisher behind GovTech News and Governing. So when we decided to launch GovConnect, Dustin, you were one of the first people that I reached out to, to invite to the show. And the reason really is because you're this ferocious reader on all things innovation. You have personal experience as an innovator in Civic Tuck. And earlier in your career, you were actually on the other side in the public sector. So Dustin, welcome to GovConnect. Thanks. Uh, great to be here. And, you know, honored that you thought of me when you thought about uh, innovation. So looking forward to the conversation. When I talk about you as a ferocious reader, you have this weekly curated list that you put together in all things innovation and then how it connects back to local government. Just tell us, how did you start that? What are your sources? How many hours a week are you reading and scouring through information to, to compile that? <laughs> I was already doing a lot of reading just to keep up with what's going on. I mean, part of my role as, a, as the chief innovation officer is to also try to understand what's happening in the bigger picture in the macro landscape of the world that we live in. And so, you know, that involves reading not just publications that are in our space, but publications that are not in our space. So, you know, looking at everything from like Fast Company to Harvard Business Review to MIT Tech Review to even getting into like some science journals and so as I ingested all this stuff, basically, I would embed that into presentations. And, you know, anytime I had meetings with individuals in government, I would kind of bring the state to the table. And I realized that I actually needed to try to do it more often in a more structured way for the market. Just started putting together 10 things that kind of catch my attention every week and a little synopsis as to what stands out and, you know, what my takeaway is and my point of view is for government. And, it's been a, a great little experiment that continues to grow, and, uh, and it's, it's fun to kind of hear feedback from people. And you know, the, the great thing about embedding a point of view in these things too is, I'm not always right. So sometimes it will challenge someone else's conventions, and they'll come back and have you know something. So it's a way for the market to kind of learn. And so I think you know, I hope it's something that other people start to do themselves because this market really needs a point of view about what's happening and what's going on and what's working and what's not working in order for us to really advance and move the needle. It's easy to get kind of caught up in our own specific little niche. So City Source, we're big on mobile services. So it's easy for me to get deep into that world. So I love that I need to be kind of plugged into the other concepts, whether it's blockchain or IoT or drones. So you really kind of force me to do that. And I promise that while I won't be doing it myself, I'll continue to challenge you on Twitter if I find something that I, I disagree with. So you can, <laughs> I guarantee that. So, um, you know, we hit on this a little bit in the intro, but why don't you just uh, take a few minutes and kind of walk through your background and how you got to where you are today? I was in banking uh, for some time and our uh, bank president retired. He decided to go into government as his retirement job. I'm not exactly sure what his motivation was. And when he got there, he became city manager of this city uh, outside of Austin called Maynard, Texas. And he uh, recruited me to come and be the city's finance director and their CFO. And I wasn't really interested, but he twisted my arm and I jumped into government and, you know, thought, well, how could, how different could uh, municipal accounting be than corporate accounting? And, uh, and, you know, quickly learned that it was very different. And, um, and, you know, kind of as the, the head of finance for the city, I was a tightwad. So, 
you know, vendors would come in and they would pitch the city, you know, a hundred plus thousand dollars to do a website and other things. And, you know, I'd, I'd been a technologist, I'd done tech consulting throughout my career and, and did a lot of IT related things. And so I knew, you know, how much IT cost and it was really kind of appalled at what I was seeing and how people were taking advantage of especially smaller communities. And so um, I kind of took the mantra that we were just going to start to do it ourselves and we were going to start to put in place, you know, an infrastructure to really meet the needs of our citizens. And so we did everything from, you know, launching one of the first local government open source content management systems in the country to developing, you know, new ways to engage our residents. We partnered with Stanford University on new tactics to uh, to help nudge behavior in the public sector. You know, we launched open innovation portals to try to give people more of a, a voice in the process. And, you know, it really became an experiment in what government was capable of. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. And so I did that for five years. And then I left and joined an open innovation company called Spigot that was based in California and, and ran public sector for them and basically had the opportunity at that point to go and build innovation programs for, for some of the largest cities uh, in the world. And so, uh, so it was great to you know, be able to kind of take the lessons that I learned in small local government and see how they applied and scaled to some of these large agencies all over the, uh, the world and, and you know, did that for two years. We sold the company. Um, and then I developed consumer tech and, and did, you know, some in ed tech and then decided to go back into government. And before I could, I was speaking at an eRepublic conference, one of our digital government uh, trade shows. And uh, eRepublic CEO was in the room. And uh, here I am four years later as uh, eRepublic's uh, chief innovation officer. And, and basically, my role is to move the needle in the public sector to work with our teams inside of our organization to you know, design everything from go-to-market plans for large and small companies, and then also work with government and startups on, you know, how do we actually accelerate public sector innovation? So I kind of get to operate on both sides of the fence rather than just being on one side. I get to help, you know, both communities uh, work together and, and try to advance what's happening in the space. Some people might look at that and say, well, wow, here was this guy. He was a rising star early in his career, could have clearly risen the ranks. So why... You know, what made you leave public sector? Why take that leap into the private side? I left because I wanted to scale bigger than where I was. And, you know, my last year when I was in Mainer, I was spending a lot of time traveling to other cities and helping them do the same thing. And I realized that it wasn't really fair to my community to spend so much time on other communities. And so jumping to the private sector gave me a platform to be able to help other cities at scale and to be able to, you know, learn from them. And, you know, I've always thought from a macro standpoint, like, how do we take what we've done here and make it something that every other city in the country can do? And so that was really a platform to do it. But I also think we always call private sector the dark side. Um, <laughs> and when I was in public sector, it was like, uh, you know, it was a predictable thing that people would exit to the dark side and then they might come back. But, you know, now that I've been on this side, it's not really the dark side. It plays an important part, as you know, in how government innovates. And it's not something that agencies can just do themselves. I mean, what we did when I was in government was reliant on working with some really amazing private sector partners that got it, that were mission oriented, that, you know, wanted to test new things that hadn't been done before in government. And so it's just another angle and another stakeholder at the table um, that, you know, sometimes has a lot more resources that can be put to doing things. And so I think it plays an important part in it. And for me, you know, it gave me the ability to do it and to learn at a much higher level than I was able to do just in one city. Back to your time in the public sector. I know um, one of the innovations you deployed was basically a virtual currency 
to help with kind of gamifying and rewarding citizen mm-hmm. engagement, which is clearly way ahead of its time and even the idea of virtual currencies. But if you look, you know, fast forward to today, you haven't really seen that approach been more widely adopted. And uh, why do you think that is? I think that the space of citizen engagement itself has kind of gone in circles since my time in Manor. And it doesn't mean that we need to have a virtual currency to get people to plug into things. But I think we need to relook at how we nudge behavior and how we get people to do things that they don't want to do. So, you know, what we did in Manor is we would provide an incentive, what we called an NO buck for people that performed, you know, various things like submitting an idea on a website or participating or voting. And, you know, we recognized them and and gave them kind of points that they could trade in for, you know, non-monetary things or things that were, you know, donated, or they could be like chief of police for a day. So, you know, some fun things to try to make government more human, but also give people a chance to get rewarded for the time that they put in. You know, I think today there's still a little bit of a disconnect in how you actually gamify things. And, you know, there's a whole science behind embedding psychology into technology and, you know, it kind of gets into these scary areas that you have to balance the ethics of like nudging behavior because you can get into kind of the clickbait side of things where you artificially, you know, mm-hmm. nudge behavior or the more do good. I want to try to nudge behavior for the right reasons. And so I think, you know, there's a little bit of a skills gap that exists. I think there's a the fact that a lot of these engagement vehicles or the gamification vehicles haven't really been standardized in products, I think is really important. But I would almost say, you know, this is going to be a little more controversial we just have to rethink of what engagement actually is. We have to kind of define that and move beyond the fluffy ways of engaging people today. And then we can start to look at using some more of these enterprise tools that are used in the private sector to nudge behavior all the time. And so, you know, today, when you talk to most people about citizen engagement, they'll immediately start with, well, we have a Facebook page and we've got a Twitter account. We've got all these things. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. great. But, you know, what kind of value do you get out of someone retweeting what you share on Facebook or on Twitter? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of value do you get out of the little reaction smiley faces on <laughs> Facebook? I mean, do you take them literally to counsel and say, well, you know, this month, 150 people did the angry face. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, no one does that. It, it doesn't create a business value for agencies. And so I think we have to look beyond that. I'm of the opinion that we have to start to find ways to leverage people to do more for agencies and so that we can do more for them. We have to expand our reach. And as Clay Shirky says, I mean, we have to kind of tap the cognitive surplus of people. And, you know, our citizens are all experts in something. And so I think once we realize that, then we can start to look at incentivizing behavior to get that expertise to be applied to real, you know, problems that exist in government. And it's happening today with certain agencies. I mean, like NASA's figured out how to incentivize behavior and how to get, you know, citizen scientists to spot black holes and, you know, other things. But we haven't cracked that fully at the state and local level of government. I think there's a couple of real key points that you hit on. One is something we've been talking about at City Sources. This idea of citizen engagement is exciting, but it's become so nebulous as to kind of mean everything and nothing. And if you're just pushing people to do behavior, whether it's like or retweet, you know, one, you're kind of targeting a very specific audience. And and the second one is like, what are you doing to actually pull them and new audiences into things that tap back to actual business value or government value that can be delivered? And I think when it comes to the, the gamification, you have to balance if you're using a vendor that wants to drive that need just like Facebook wants more eyeballs on their content and on their ads, what is 
the city's actual approach to gamification. So it's it's hard, I think, like you said, at the state and local level to make sure that you have kind of the subject matter experts that understand how to implement it and also what really truly is the behavior that you're trying to incentivize. So I, I really love the points you make. Something you hit on there that I'd really like to dive into, and you've talked about this in one of your previous TEDx talks, but this idea you know, of rapid innovation, I think you even talk about open innovations, right? Where leaders mm-hmm. can tap into their employees, their customers, and even their constituents for innovation. So how can the public sector go about kind of best tapping into this rapid and open innovation style? When you think about innovation, traditionally, most people think about like R&D centers and, you know, they think of Silicon Valley and having these like skunk works teams that are all, you know, huddled together, really smart people trying to crack complex problems. And that doesn't really work. <laughs> it's hard to commercialize what comes out of that. But open innovation is basically this concept that innovation can come from any part of your organization. And in fact, you know, when you think about it, it's actually pretty logical. I mean, the people that experience the biggest challenges and pain points with processes inside of government are people that are on the front line. They're your day-to-day employees that are dealing with customers, they're answering the phone, they're taking payments. And, you know, when you think about it from an innovation standpoint, they're often the last people that most agencies go to to try to tackle and solve problems. I mean, normally you either hire a high dollar consultant to give you a three ring binder or you assemble your department heads that are so far removed from the trenches of what's going on that you can't really do anything and you can't really solve problems that actually exist because you're seeing them from too high up. And so open innovation is basically putting in place a process to collect insights and ideas from any part of your organization and, you know, kind of to the edge of your organization. And I think the key is, you know, not just collecting ideas. I mean, innovation isn't an ideas problem, but it's also putting in place a system to execute on ideas that people have. So, you know, if you do an open call for ideas in your organization, you know, you're going to get a lot of ideas. And, you know, when you can't respond to them or act on them or you have no process to manage them, it's just like the old uh, idea collection boxes that used to be in malls where you could submit an idea for the mall. I mean, no one ever did that. You might have done it once, but you never did it again because there was no feedback loop. And so I think, you know, when you think about these processes that need to be in place, you have to have a mechanism to collect from the edge of your organization, but you also have to have a mechanism to execute and respond to it. And if an idea comes in that, doesn't work. It's out of your jurisdiction. You can't do it. You have to be able to provide that feedback because that person is going to be disengaged if you don't. It's kind of like, you know, back to our citizen engagement conversation. If someone shows up to a council meeting and they talk for three minutes and you can't legally respond to them because what they talked about is not on the agenda, it's not really going to encourage them to ever want to come back and engage in a government process again. And the same is true for the way that you collect insights from people inside your organization. Now, once you master it inside your organization, then you can look at going outside and, and getting insights and expertise from people that are in the general public. And that is a scary concept at times. I mean, I talked to some of my city manager friends and, you know, having public input on things is great during public meetings and other structured sessions, but just having a vehicle to do that all the time can sometimes, you know, cause alarm with, I don't have the staff to manage this. What are we going to do? And so, you know, you really have to have kind of a process that's been refined and tested with your employees to process and collect insights. And once you've got that down, then you can look to the general public and, and get their you know insights on things. And the best way to start is to, to look at their problems. I mean, anytime someone had a problem in my city, 
I mean, basically, I would say, what would you do to solve this problem? I kind of flipped it around. And instead of just having a complaint form or a you know email address that they can email in concerns, I would actually give them another field that was required. How would you solve this problem? And that in itself is an idea. And it gives you a better look at actually what the problem might be that you know may have not been described properly at the, at the first you know kind of text box. So I think agencies have to find ways to tap insights for the people that they have employed by them, their employees, as well as the general public, um, because there's so much time and energy that gets wasted because there's not a real structured way for them to plug in. And, you know, my thing is everyone is an expert in something. And the way that people volunteer for government today, you know, we'll get students to volunteer, like to sell water bottles at a a fundraiser. And it's like... (laughs) That doesn't actually do anything. I mean, it's great. It raises money. And that's an important part of the process. But those students, they may be experts in a certain coding language, and they could solve a technical problem for the agency. And I think we just have to move beyond these traditional ways of people plugging into processes. Open innovation is one way to collect insights and to act on them. And then I think, you know, going further, we have to find ways to let people plug in additional talents on top of it. I mean, you might have a grant writer that lives in your city that works for another city that's willing to plug and in, in volunteer time. I mean, we had that in my community and, and, you know, they did free work for us and they volunteered and they got value out of it because, you know, it was something that they enjoyed being able to give back. And I didn't ask them to sit in a meeting and, you know, go through, you know, all these artificial things. I just let them plug in in a way that they felt comfortable doing so. So I think that's the, the challenge slash opportunity for agencies is moving beyond what we have today and looking at ways to collect insights from your employees and your constituents, act on them, and let them be a part of that process. That's incredible. I think, you know, summarizing a few of those points, really opening up internally, look at your staff, give them a chance. Obviously, you need to have a culture where people feel comfortable, or you make it anonymous that they can raise problems. Um, And then I like the second part of that that you said, it's almost what I call the pass back method. You say, there's the problem, but how would you provide a solution to that problem. So I think that's a a great approach. Obviously, that will be hopefully well-received early. You have to have some kind of execution ideas behind that because if it's just, like you said, an idea box that goes to nowhere, people will quickly lose interest. So I think that's kind of the second phase after that is do you have kind of a framework to execute on these? Is it okay if there's some failure around that? Have you normalized results and measuring it and making it okay to try new things, but I think you tapped into like a really good way of starting internally. Then once you get comfortable with that, looking externally to the public and the constituents for innovation. So looking to today and to kind of the modern chief information officer role, the chief innovation officer role, how do you see that changing and how does it change now? And then kind of looking out in the near term future, how do you see that continuing to change? I mean, it's an exciting time to be in and around government, especially, I would say, at the local level, specifically, just because there's so much change happening at the ground level, and cities are the front end of all of that. So it's a really exciting time. Cities are also grappling with a lot of this change in different ways. And, you know, one of the things that we've been tracking, Paul Taylor, a colleague of mine, and I have been looking at the the rise of these new C-level positions. And there's now over 25 different C-level positions in state and local government that have emerged since we've been looking. You know, things like chief privacy officers, chief innovation officers, you've got performance officers, you have analytics officers, you've got, you know, there's an IoT officer that exists. So there's all these new C's that exist, which, you know, when you look at it from a distance, you may say, oh, wow, government's getting with it. That's super progressive. But it also is a sign of 
there's some challenge that will emerge with having all of these islands of different roles and responsibilities that aren't always defined. And so, you know, I think the great news is government is moving on change and they're trying to make sense of it. But what we have to really focus on now, and if I were a CIO, I would really focus on trying to build the infrastructure to support the ecosystem of all these new positions that emerge. And, you know, what is the centralized vision of our organization? And how does everybody fit into that? And what are their roles and responsibilities for execution? Because one of the challenges that you'll have is too many cooks in the kitchen that each have their own vision of what they want to do and things break down. And, you know, the great thing about innovation today is it's very easy to iterate. You know, technology can allow you to rapidly test things and, you know, develop MVPs and put them out. But if everyone is executing simultaneously, then nothing is actually going to get done. Nothing's going to be accomplished, nothing's centralized. So we have to start to look at building structure in organizations that are trying to grapple with the change. And I think it you know starts with recognizing that the role of the CIO is evolving to that beyond just managing the back end of the day-to-day operations. Like the CIO is no longer the, the person that just makes things print when you hit the print button. <laughs> you know, they're a critical part of of all conversations. I mean you look at all the smart city stuff that's happening across the country. CIO should be at the table for all of those conversations. And I think that's a challenge now because many of them are not. And, yeah. and this is a, you know, something organizationally that we have to help the market understand that you've got to have someone that is already overseeing the day-to-day infrastructure be at the table for any new infrastructure that's going to come. So I think that's one thing. And then I think that you know, all of these new positions that are emerging need to operate off of a common playbook and vision. And you know, I'm a big Jim Collins fan. I love you know, Built to Last, Good to Great, all those books. And you know, I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from looking at organizations that live their purpose and their mission and that have it embedded into the culture of how they operate. And I think the same is true for government. I mean, your purpose isn't just to provide water service or provide power. I mean, if you look at the organizational purpose that you have and the mission that you have, it can't be fluffy, it can't be generic, but it's got to be something that is big and audacious. You can wrap your arms around it and it empowers everyone to act and you kind of have an, uh, an operating playbook to go from. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned in that, you know, giving people a common vision to operate off of. And then I think also agencies have to understand that that they're going to be in a continuous state of uh, improvement. And, you know, we call it beta, you know, they're going to be in this this state where they're never going to arrive at a destination where they're done and their work is accomplished. And so I think, you know, baking that into the organizational mindset is really important because oftentimes we look at people as, well, that's a project manager for this, or, you know, they're running lead on that. It's like, we're all on the same, you know, rocket. We're building the rocket as we fly it. And we're never going to reach a point where we're done. We're going to constantly expand and improve. And and I think that sometimes can create challenges when organizations treat things on a project by project basis and try to silo, you know, management off the different C's that may be super qualified to do it, but it's just the disorganization of it causes the entire organization to really stumble. So what I picked up and what was really interesting in there was you didn't talk about a challenge in security or technology or even procurement or adoption or business change, the big thing you really hit on there was the people, the human aspect and how, um, especially I think on the traditional CIO role, which was they were the technologist, they could make sure the emails system was up and the calendars and people had their software up and running because that's kind of their foundation to this, you know, we've been talking about this transition of really more the interaction and the people level and developing 
both alliances across different departments and different C levels as you hit on and kind of within the organization that supports innovation. Do you think that's the single kind of biggest challenge facing today's CIO or innovation office? I think there is a lot of focus on what is possible in the shiny objects of possibility. You know, like you look at artificial intelligence and, you know, blockchain and, you know, all of these different things. You go to conferences, you hear all about them. And that's great. They all have a lot of potential inside of government. But I think the biggest challenge is making sense of people and how you actually optimize people for the future and how you orchestrate them in the future. And there's going to be a lot of you know, interesting things that start to impact government, not just from like, you know, technology coming in and displacing people. I'm more of an optimist that the augmentation is kind of a thing, but just, you know, making sense of how we deal with these changes with our own people, with our constituents, with the various entities that we serve. I think, you know, a smart city starts with people at the center and then you work your way out. Oftentimes we look at rolling technology out in search of a problem And that's where things really aren't sustainable. I mean, you can put in a state-of-the-art AI that has mined all this data that you have. And, you know, if your people don't know how to use it or if it doesn't actually solve a problem that's relatable to them, you know, you just wasted a bunch of time and money building a software system to interface with a bunch of legacy data. So I think, you know, it starts with people and designing for them. And we, you know, sort of for digital government, we've created the Government Experience Awards. And, you know, we think when you build for people and you optimize their experience, everything else follows. And so when you build for experience, that means you have to build for, you know, that you have to build the infrastructure to support the experience. So am I on a scalable platform that can support all of the new needs that emerge over time, like the internet of things and like these other things that we throw out all the time? Is my platform scalable to in order to enable me to do that? We often, you know, miss the people side of things. How are my individuals going to use that? What's the change management process associated with it? Does it solve a problem for them? Does it enable them to be more effective at what they do? And then from an intelligence standpoint, kind of being that last layer, you know, how do we actually measure progress? You know, are we doing better? Are we doing worse? You know, being able to understand our, our, our progress as we move down that path, I think is really key. But I think, you know, agencies have to get really proficient at designing for the people that they serve, whether it's their employees or their constituents. That's the biggest challenge I see of our era. Technology is easy. I'll say it's easy. Um, you know, there's a lot of complexities associated with it, but it's applying technology to the right problems that are defined by the people that you saw, that you serve is going to be the hardest thing to crack because it's so easy for us in the public sector to think we understand the problems. I mean, I, w- I did this too, where I, I could see a problem and then I would want to go solve it, but we have to get better at actually validating that and understanding who it is that has the problem and you know what their experience is and what the most optimal solution is, not based on my opinion, but based on the way that they you know, would use that technology in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got to presume that someone who's at that C-level has that certain level of kind of people skill, but there's Definitely some listeners out there who are probably were technologists or they were really good at project management or they were good at cutting costs and have got into that role. So if someone wants to become better at one, the people management and maybe two, kind of the design thinking and the experience of people both within their office and the constituents they serve, what do you think they can do to improve in those areas? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it starts with 
understanding the bigger picture landscape, the people that you touch, like, let's say you're a project manager, I mean, understand the people that are using the systems that you oversee, and that you're, you know, implementing, maybe you're working on an upgrade, you know, understand everything about them, develop personas. And then, you know, be a resource, educate, you know, the rest of your team on both your perspective, as well as what you're seeing in the market. And I think, you know, it's really important to, um, to create spaces for dialogue to happen and for these points of view to get out. And I think, it, you know, one of the things when Dane Nath, the uh, former chief innovation officer of San Francisco was there, he used to do these lunches where he would bring in experts to kind of just talk about their perspectives on what they were doing in the space and what their views were. And, you know, it would challenge the group and sometimes validate the group. And, you know, I think that's a great example of things that you could look to do is be that for your for your team and for your organization, as well as, you know, create opportunities. If you're in a position to do that, create opportunities for that happen to your, for your team, you know, bring in new stimuli, share that with the group. And then I think, you know, the most important thing is we're at this moment where, you know, anyone inside of an organization can create a brand new model that can change the way that government works. I mean, I would say, I would argue that all of the rules about being a public servant are being rewritten today. And the ways that we plan cities in the past are changing. Uh, the ways that we institute systems and, you know, even how we deploy IT from an agile standpoint now, like everything is changing. The rules are being rewritten and everybody in an organization is rewriting them collectively. So regardless of whatever your role is, plug in and, and look at creating a model that can be used not just for your organization, but for every other organization and then share the heck out of it. And, you know, you might be 30% right when you start, but by the time other people start to add on to it or voice their opinions or, you know, share what they're doing, you'll get to where you've actually made a noticeable impact and kind of put a dent in the ways that we are doing things in this space. And I think more people need to do that and, and recognize that change isn't going to, you know, this, this mission critical change isn't just going to emerge from the CIOs and the city managers and the mayors and the electeds. It really happens when you empower people at every position in their organizations to be able to start to dictate and, uh, and lead some of that on their own. And so I think that's the opportunity for, for those of you in leadership positions that are listening, find ways to empower your teams to do that. For those of you that are in positions of non-leadership, find ways to just start doing it today and, you know, work with the community. And there's lots of different networks to plug in, but start building new models of, of, of how we uh, execute in government because uh, we, we definitely need it. And we're at this critical moment in time where agencies have to act because of the just exponential nature of technology and behavior change and other things that, that are happening. It's just so critical that we move now. That's awesome. I really love that for that idea of the future leader, if you want to connect with people, give them avenues, give them outlets, whether it's as simple as a, you know, a lunchtime gathering, an anonymous form, somewhere where they can, you know, you're saying, I'm open, I want to connect, I want your ideas. And I think the last one you hit on is huge. There's so many people that inside their organization, they don't realize they can't start with just themselves or a colleague or even their small little team. They think, oh, I'll do something interesting and new once I have the influence, once I have the authority. And really, um, they can start at a much smaller scale and start now. And it doesn't have to be reinventing everything within their organization. It can be one small change that they get some success with and see that it works. And then, like you said, information should be free, like share it internally and share, share those wins. So I love that. So 
Dustin, we're moving on to a really fun final portion that we call our rapid question round. So the first one that we'll start with. So City Source, we're all about pushing out more of these government services through our mobile app platform. And we think there's an incredible opportunity there. So for you, what type of smartphone do you use? And what is your favorite app? <laughs> All right. I use an iPhone 10. Favorite app? Probably from a work standpoint, I am a Trello guy. I, I love Trello. And I think for those of you that are in project management, Trello is like the best tool that you could possibly use <laughs> altogether. And then I would say from a personal standpoint, Starbucks. <laughs> I'm a coffee guy. That, that's my second home away from home is Starbucks. Mm-hmm. But actually, there's a lot of lessons that can be extracted from the Starbucks mobile app mm-hmm. uh, for government agencies, just about designing kind of a, a user experience that's really built around people and their needs and, and everything else. So, so those are probably my two most frequented apps that I use on my phone. I, I am you know, getting into the voice assistance and other things um, that we have and have kind of modified mine to respond different ways to my kids. But I think those will probably, those would be my front runners on applications. Awesome. Yeah. We use the Starbucks as an incredible example. You know, we're all in on mobile and most people in local government are, but sometimes you get a question about, well, who's going to use this? And we point to, well, look at Starbucks, look at, to a little bit lesser extent, Domino's and McDonald's. These are obviously big billion dollar companies, but they're doing, you know, margin thin transactions and they're really kind of driving adoption and customer service through that mobile platform. So that's cool to see that you're a, you're a big coffee drinker. So number two, what's one book you most recommend or give away to others? Oh, there's so many that are great. One that I recently read that I actually really like, and I think it has applicability in government and outside of government with companies that are serving government, it's called Regulatory Hacking. And it's you know labeled as kind of a playbook for startups, but I think there's also some good nuances in there for government. Um, it came from uh, Evan uh, Burfield and J.D. Harrison, and Evan was the co-founder of 1776. So you know mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a great read for those that are interested in what's happening and how people can take advantage of you know this new landscape that we're in, both inside and outside of government. Yeah, that's great. I like that you like to be challenged, and I'm going to add the, uh, the regulatory hacking to my to my reading list. So. Number three, what's one tool, software, or even non-tech hack that you're using right now that makes your life better? (laughs) Outside of the out of office on Outlook, (laughs) I use Trello a lot. I love Trello. It is great for, you know, non-software development stuff, just as good as it is for software development stuff. And so I use that inside, um, it's to help coordinate projects and other things. So, I mean, that's, that's one you know, great way that you can uh, plug into it. So, I mean, that's what, as I mentioned, that was one of my most used sure. apps as well. I mean, other software that's helpful. Let me think if there's anything else that kind of stands out. I also like mind mapping software. So like MindJet, as an example, there's great systems like that that allow you to start to map out kind of these bigger picture correlation things. And I think those, that becomes really important as you start to you know, work on kind of the bigger picture macro changes that you want to do. Just being able to kind of build some structure and some semblance and that is great. Perfect. Love that. So Dustin, tell our audience, where can they connect with you? I know you're constantly at events, you know, doing webinars digitally. Where can the audience find and connect with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. You can find me uh, online. You, I'm on LinkedIn. You can just search Dustin Heisler. The good thing is there's only one Dustin Heisler out there. So, And I'm on Twitter at Dustin, uh, H-A-I-S-L-E-R. Uh, you can also find me on my website and I'm trying to post you know, the latest things that I'm reading as well as some of the research that I've done over the years. And that's just DustinHeisler.com. You'll kind of catch the theme basically. Just put a forward slash Dustin Heisler on any of the major networks and you'll probably hit you know, one of my properties. <laughs> so that's a great place. Um, also encourage you to check out, you know, govtech.com if you're not plugged into what's happening in the space. We've also launched something called GovTech Biz, which is just govtech.com forward slash B-I-Z. And we've got a phenomenal beat writer, Ben Miller, that's pumping out content that's happening in and around government. And I call it the Wall Street Journal of our space because it's just, you know, kind of a look at the industry side of what's going on uh, around government and the startups that are forming and, you know, the funding and everything else. So it's kind of a fun way to, to see that and, and all of the data associated with it. So check those out. You know, governing is another platform. If you're on the policy side and you're interested in, you know, kind of where that meets tech, uh, governing.com is, is another great uh, resource. So plug into that. And, uh, and then, you know, one other, you know, shout out is, as you start to, you know, do the crazy things of reinventing government, you know, we want to know about it too. And you know, the great thing about eRepublic as a, as a company is we're very mission oriented and we want to tell those stories, not just to give you air cover, but also so that you can start to connect with other agencies and maybe doing that as well. And so, you know, if you're doing things that are, that are crazy, that are innovative, or if you have questions or other things, just reach out um, and I'll make sure that my emails in the, in the show notes and you know, let me know what you're doing. And, you know, if I, if I can help you, I'll definitely try. So, We'll make sure we link all of those places where people can find you and certainly the eRepublic sites as well, because I know I read them and they're incredibly informative, easy, quick, love getting it in my email box. So thank you so much, Dustin, for joining today. I really appreciate your insight. I probably could have gone another hour into some of the things that you hit on, but incredible amount of information that you distilled down and shared and really appreciate you being on the Gov Connect. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, that ends our episode for today. We really appreciate Dustin, for joining and talking with us and sharing a lot of information. GovConnect is produced by CitySource and can be found in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all major podcast distribution networks. Thanks for listening to GovConnect. Please make sure you subscribe. And don't forget, we need you to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best in local government innovation.